morning, and I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and join me in turning to the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Most of you know we started a new series last week. We're calling it Enjoy, and it's a verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. And it's different than ordinarily we might approach a book. We've actually gone through the book of Philippians years ago as a church, and we're doing it a little different in this study. We're looking at each passage in this book and asking the question, what can we learn about joy from this part of Paul's book, the letter we call Philippians. And, and uh, I hope you're enjoying it. Many of you got involved with the website we put together for this. And uh, I was told that last Monday we had the most hits we've ever had on our church website. And it's great to know people from our church are enjoying the messages and getting the questions and the small group study guides. And, and uh, it's even been fun to know folks around the world that, that uh, are tuning in and a part of this, missionary friends and so forth. And, and uh, it's great. I'm very excited about it. And um, I'm looking forward to developing what, what we're going to be studying today. Now, I wanted to say this as a reminder. Uh, this was written as a letter. It's, it's not uh, a book that tells a story like the Old Testament books. It's not necessarily uh, given in chronological order like maybe the gospel accountings of the life of Christ. And so as we're studying this, of necessity, we're going to have to just cut some messages off because wouldn't it be a shame if I tried to preach all 12 sermons from this series at one time? How many of you think it's probably better for me to do a little bit each week? All right, good. I think that's better for all of us. And, uh, and yet as we go through here, we're finding that there are truths that can encourage our lives. And, and uh, so I'm looking forward to picking up where we left off last week and, and continuing that on. Uh, several weeks ago, I got a call from uh, Matt. Many of you know Matt on our staff. He actually preached here a couple weeks ago, and he oversees, among other things, our youth group. And, and uh, he's a great blessing. He called me, and, and he said, hey, I got the Manny Pacquiao fight on pay-per-view. Do you want to come over and watch it? And he had a house full of folks ready to watch the fight. And, and uh, I'm an avid sports fan. I, I thought that sounded fun. But on Saturday nights, ordinarily, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat of a boring guy, and I get really boring on Saturday nights. I, I want to go to bed early, and I want to wake up refreshed. I want to be my best for you guys on Sunday. So Saturday nights, I don't often venture out. I like to just lay low. But uh, Manny Pacquiao interests me. I've been to the Philippines. I have many Filipino friends. I had heard that he'd come to know Jesus as a Savior recently and was interested in that. And, and so I agreed. I said, man, thanks for the invite. I didn't even have to pay for the fight. And they fed me food on top of it. It was a great evening, all right? Went to the fight here. We're, we're sitting around watching the pre-fight interviews. And that night, Manny Pacquiao was fighting a, a, a fighter, Brandon Rios was his name, and, and so they're giving the backstories and, and uh, they're having interviews, and Manny Pacquiao in the interviews was very calm, and yeah, I'm very thankful to be here, and, and uh, uh, he, I mean, he expected to win the fight, don't get me wrong, but there's almost a degree of humility in the way he, he would make his case for how he was going to win the fight, very, very uh, humble, confident, yet humble. And then you would juxtapose that against Brandon Rios, who was just overt in his arrogance. For example, they would ask Manny, you know, about the fight. And he'd say, I, I think I'm going to win the fight. You know, I'm thankful to be here. And, and uh, he kind of has this mannerism, very humble. And then, then they go to Brandon Rios, and he just as arrogant as could be. He, he said literally, and this is almost a word-for-word quote. He said, I'm going to beat Manny so bad he'll never be able to fight again. I'm going to beat him into retirement. That's what he said. That's just kind of the difference between the two. One man had a confidence somewhat reserved confidence even at times. The other man was arrogant. And I think sometimes in our culture, we've lost the distinction between someone who is confident and someone who is 
arrogant. Now, I, I don't want to offend anybody today. I hope it doesn't bother you, but I kind of enjoyed watching that fight. And, and for a fight that did not end in a knockout, Manny Pacquiao, he won every single round. And, uh, I mean, he won every round soundly, and it was kind of fun just watching him dismantle this guy. Now, at the end of the fight, all right, Manny was the one who was kind of quietly confident, and Rios was the one who was arrogant, you know, known for partying and just being an all-around mean guy. I've never met him, but that's kind of the image that comes with him. And, and after the fight, after this, uh, Rios' face is just this big almost from, from getting beat up the whole fight, and what does he say? He never hurt me. Never hurt me, you know? And uh, yeah, he's fast, but he just, he never hurt me, and his, his whole head swollen. He, apparently, he was hurt, all right? Manny Pacquiao, after the fight, what does he say? He congratulated his opponent. He asked everybody to pray for the Philippines. They'd recently gone through a typhoon. He thanked, thanked God. And in fact, even after the fight, uh, I was told by some friends and family that were at the fight, he actually went to a church service after the fight and gave his testimony of how he came to know the Lord. Now, he has whiskey commercials on TV, too. I don't know about it all. But it was just interesting to me to see the two approaches. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians is a man that is riding from a tough situation, as we've developed, and I'll mention more of. And, and yet he's a man that, that has a confidence. I, I want you to know today, as we get into this study, that arrogance is a sin. It's an affront against God when we as people can have a mindset that says, I find great, great confidence in myself. Arrogance is a sin. But confidence is that comes from our relationship with God is the birthright of every Christian. And if you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have the joy of the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of a home in heaven, I want you to know something. God's desire for our lives is that we, like the Apostle Paul, would have a degree of confidence no matter what we go through. Because Paul, as we know, was going through many difficulties in his life. He had confidence while he was imprisoned he's in a tough situation and a confidence brought a joy to his life and i want you to know today regardless of where you are or what you're going through or what you have been through when we learn what the apostle paul learned we can be helped and i hope that you'll be helped today as i've been helped even in just preparing for this message and if you're able i'd like to invite you to join me in standing we're going to look to this text together this morning philippians chapter one is where we'll be reading Philippians chapter 1, and um, we're going to begin reading in verse 12 for one reason. We finished reading last week in verse 11, all right? And we're just kind of going as far as we can go in a week and picking it up where we left off. And so in verse 12, the Apostle Paul, from an imprisoned situation in Rome, writing to a church in Philippi, to people he knows and loves, he says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now again, I'll read on, but uh, his brethren, these people who are Christians as he was, he's writing to a church, that's the idea here, um, they knew some things had been taking place in Paul's life, and, and Paul begins in verse 12 by saying, listen, I know you're hearing of, of the things I'm going through, I know you know that I, I'm in a tough situation here in Rome, but he said, I want you to know something first here, God's used this for the furtherance of the gospel. And he said, it's important to me you understand that, verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Now, uh, I just love the fact that Paul never had a victim mindset. Paul never went through life and said, well, let me tell you about me. Paul, uh, I'm a servant of Caesar. 
uh, of the Roman Empire. I, I'm, a, I'm a prisoner. I'm a captive. No, but Paul would routinely refer to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. He would refer to himself even in, in terms of being a, a slave, even a prisoner, so to speak, held captive by the love of God. Verse 14, he said, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Basically, he said this, I know people are watching me, and Paul said, I know there are some people today who are watching how I'm going through this trial, and they're more bold in their trial by watching for me. Let me tell each and every one of you something today. You're being watched as well. We all are. And Paul was very aware of the fact that his life was being a testimony, and he wanted it to be a good one as opposed to a not-so-good one. Verse 16, he says, the one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. I'm going to read on, but Paul's desire was that Christ would be magnified. And we know, I mean, a magnifying glass, it makes things bigger. It means to be brought to light. Paul said, my desire is that my life would be an occasion for others to see Jesus, that he would be made larger by my influence in their lives, that he would be brought to light in their life because of me. And, and Paul said, you know, whether that be by my life or by my death, just as long as God uses me to that end, I'll be grateful. Verse 21, he said, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not, or I don't know. He said, I'm in a strait betwixt two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now again, I'll read on, but Paul is saying here, listen, the way I see this, whether I live or die, what's important to me is that others would see Jesus in my life. Or my death. And he said if I die it's actually far better because then I'm in heaven. He said heaven's far better. Verse 24. Nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And so he goes on to say but if I live then I get to serve and, and help you and, and help others. So win or die there's a blessing. Verse 25. And having this confidence I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith it's an interesting expression joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in jesus christ for me by my coming to you again i want you to go if you would please near the beginning of verse 25 and again considering it's just a personal letter yes inspired by god uh, dictated by paul to this church more, more of, a, of a letter style, it's difficult at times to find a central thought around which to build a lesson, but I believe in verse 25 we, we find a, a thought that we'll, uh, Lord willing, be encouraged by today. The, the words in the beginning of verse 25, I want you to take note of are these. This confidence. This confidence. 
Now, I want us to think today on the joy that, that is found in a, in a godly, Christ-honoring confidence. Our Father, I thank you for this day, for the good you've already done, and in advance for the good that I believe you will do. Help us open our hearts. May we grow today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The life of the Apostle Paul was filled with many great events, great occasions, great moments, great victories, as we would call them. We know that at least on three occasions, the Apostle Paul led, led mission endeavors, and, and as he would travel with a ministry team, we know that souls came to know Jesus as their Savior. They followed him in baptism. They were brought together, starting a church, and, and the Apostle Paul's mission endeavors were used wildly by the Lord, and we're grateful for the testimony and the legacy of, of his work of sharing the gospel and planting churches. We know that as we read the New Testament that it's comprised of 27 different books. And of the 27 books in the New Testament, Paul, we know, has written 13, perhaps 14 of the 27 books. If Paul were to have written a letter about joy, it would make sense to us that he would do so by recounting maybe some of the great moments in his life in terms of serving God, that he would have rehearsed the days when large numbers got saved, a church was started, or maybe he would have highlighted the fact that he could write a book that was included in scripture for us. That's not the case in the book of Philippians. Yes, the topic and theme of it all is joy, but we find that he was writing this and speaking of this from a situation in which he was in confinement. He was living in a situation that I would imagine being imprisoned in Rome, uh, having to face a, a, a tough situation, that that would have bred some insecurity and some fear in his life. But in a moment that I think would have bred security and, and fear, insecurity and fear, he's writing a letter highlighting the value of joy and emphasizing here a joy that comes from confidence. And that makes me ask a question of this passage. How does one have confidence when their entire world seems to be unstable or uncertain? How can a Christian have confident joy in the midst of a world that seems to be spinning out of control? How can you have confidence in your life when you're dealing with so many things that are totally unknown? And so I'm wondering, Paul, how can you write a letter to us from this situation that is filled with joy, and in this case, a joy that comes from confidence? And I believe Paul really addresses this situation before us. If you have your notes nearby, I want to encourage you, please, to get those out. I believe Paul reveals to us in this passage that God can use every situation for our good and for his glory. Paul understood this, that God can use every situation for our good and for his glory. Now, I want us to look again at how Paul began his, his study here. And so in Philippians 1, as we began reading a moment ago in verse 12, the Bible started this way. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the expression fallout. Um, I think of a, maybe a bomb, a nuclear bomb, and the fallout from that. I've heard people speak of the fallout of a bad decision, the fallout of, of something that, that was negative. It's almost always used in a negative way, almost always ha has a negative bent to it. Yet the Apostle Paul says the fallout in my life from this difficult moment 
has been used not in a negative way, but in a good way. He said this, I have learned in my life that God can use any situation for my good and for His glory. He, he thought he could encourage this church. He said, you need to understand Yes, some things have happened in my life. Yes, I'm incarcerated, but God has used this time to bring some unique opportunities my way. As Paul goes on, he explains to us how this, this all works. He wrote to them, he said, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. He's in the palace. I don't know if Paul wondered, how could I possibly get the gospel into the palace? But God had a plan. True, it would have been different than maybe we would have planned it. But Paul was living under arrest. He's chained to a guard. He's on the palace grounds in Rome. And he may have wondered how those in government would hear. Well, there he is. And Paul had a desire to get the gospel to Rome. He had a passion for Rome. In Acts chapter 19, he tells us about this a little bit. Uh, the Bible goes on to say in Acts 19, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. While in Corinth, he, he writes in Romans 1 and verse 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, he had a passion to get to Rome. Rome was a key city, and really, that's an understatement. It was the capital of the world. Everybody knew of Rome. Many of the ideas of the day would come from Rome. And so here he is on, on palace grounds. It seemed to be a tragedy, but Paul said, no. It's an opportunity. Friends, I want you to know that many times the situations in our life that we think are spinning out of control and seem so tragic Many times, that's the stuff God works with to bring a unique opportunity into our lives. That, that's how God works. Imagine being the guard who was chained to the Apostle Paul. How many of you think that guard probably heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? How many of you think that guard felt like the prisoner himself at the end of the day? I can see him showing up for work the next day, Paul saying, okay, hey, it's, it's you again, big boy. Come on, let's get chained up. I, I got you again for another eight hours. And, and uh, Paul was here in the midst of this situation. And while we might have been prone to be afraid and greatly insecure, here he is in this situation saying, I want all of you to know something. God has used this turn of events in my life to serve as an occasion for much good to take place. God can do that. He has a joy-filled confidence because Paul says that that's just how big my God is. Charles Haddon Spurgeon is the most published preacher in the history of the world. His writings literally have gone around the globe and at his time in the 1800s he pastored the largest church in the world and it was a very influential ministry. They had a Bible college and they had orphanages and, and so much was being done through the life and times of Charles Spurgeon. He literally changed the world in which he was living. He had a wife, Susanna, he loved very much, and as she was giving birth to their twins, the story of her life says she became an invalid, and I haven't read how that was developed exactly, but, but through that situation in her life, she was brought to an occasion where she could hardly ever leave the home. She loved her husband. She wanted to support the ministry. That had been how things were for her. She was in the middle of everything, serving and, and going and giving. And, and that was her desire. But her, her life kind of brought her to the place where he'd come home from church on Sunday and she'd say, how did things go? She couldn't be there. And that broke her heart. But she got a burden for getting the 
messages that her husband had preached and, and putting them together and binding them and turning them into books. And she started a fund called the Pastors Fund so that pastors literally around the world, but primarily in England where they lived, who didn't have the means to get the resources that Pastor Spurgeon was getting out so they could get them free of charge. And, and we remember Charles Spurgeon in one of the primary things you'd learn if you were to study him, that he's the most published pastor of all time. And yet that came to fruition because the life of his dear wife had been changed. And rather than looking at that situation as a dead end in her life, she had to treat it as a new beginning. And she said, I'm going to do what I can do here. And God used her in that way. Friends, so often those things in our lives that we think are our major tragedies, our opportunities from God. I'm saying today that some of you are enduring incredible opposition. Some of you today are going through heartbreak, extraordinaire. They need not dim your view of the future. Don't let your troubles and trials so-called dictate what it is that you believe God can do tomorrow. Paul, how can you write a letter about joy and show us a confidence in your joy? And he'd say, well, I know something about God. He can use any situation for my good and for his glory. Paul believed that. But as we continue our study today, we also see that Paul believed this. He believed that God can involve anyone in his great work. Now, as Paul was enduring this time of difficulty in his life with joy in his heart, uh, he, he, he really wanted to encourage others. As we continue on in our study, I want us to see this. The Bible says, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident or growing in confidence by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So as Paul is writing, he says, you know, God's using this. Others are, are, are being helped. There are people watching my life, observing my behavior, learning from the way I'm handling things. And they're doing more for Jesus Christ because of my testimony. But then Paul's going to turn the corner and tell us there was another crowd in his life. And let me tell each and every one of you something here today. Mark this down. There's a crowd like this crowd that Paul's going to talk about in your life today as well it's the crowd of the critics the critics now if you don't like criticism I can tell you how to have none just never do anything try anything or have anything you'll have no critics at all but if you try to do anything alive and have anything and be anything you're you're going to find there are going to be people standing around and I'm not sure why this is but many times even in our lives for God when we want to see the Lord do something in our lives there will be people there that want to malign you and criticize you and 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 say how it is that you're doing it wrong and and that was the case for Paul this man that needed encouragement he he found from this group there was none that was going to be coming and it's hard to imagine that there were among the Christians at Rome those who opposed Paul but that is what was happening Happening. And I'm sad to share this today, but I want you to understand this. You don't need to get shocked when you come across this in your life. You just need to say, hey, the Bible told us that would happen. Pastor even one time mentioned it in a message. I'm sad to share this with you today, but disunity and bickering is even present among Christians sometimes. Because we all have it in us to be petty, divisive, and hold our preference to the bitter end. But Paul learned that God is so powerful, he can take those who oppose us, those who criticize us, and God can use their criticism to bring the topic that they're criticizing into light. 
Paul went on to tell us about this group as, as he went on. He said, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. And please know this, those two always go together. If you've got a jealous heart, you're going to be the kind of person that gets in conflict. Envy and strife. It goes together like love and unity. When you love someone, unity is just going to be there. Those go together. Envy and strife, they are always found together. And then the Apostle Paul goes on. He said the one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely. They're, they were preaching Christ, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but they were preaching the Christ of contention. Now, the Apostle Paul was an exceedingly smart man. He trained at the feet of a man by the name of Gamaliel, who was, who was the, known as the wisest sage of the day. His background training would have earned him the label we might have called of jurisprudence and attorney. This was a man that knew so much, and I know he used words wisely. And yes, God was working in his life, but he was working through the life and experience of Paul and Paul said, let me tell you what these critics are doing. They're preaching Christ of contention. Paul's hope and desire and aim in life was to help others come to the place where they would become followers of Jesus Christ. But the word contention is used here was a word that was used to refer to a politician trying to win an election. It means to gain followers unto yourself. It means to convince people that you are the way. And, and so Paul uses this word referring to politicians as one who would seek for a vote to kind of delineate the difference between how he approached ministry and how these insincere, inauthentic others approach ministry. Paul, for example, would be the kind of man who would say, tell me, what do you think of Jesus Christ? And for example, the critics were the type of people that would say, what do you think of Paul or me? Pick one. They were divisive. It was all about gaining followers for themselves. They saw ministry not as a means to give great glory to God, but as a means to gain followers unto themselves. And, and Paul said, it's very, very different. But he also let us know this, that sometimes God can use a controversy to highlight the truth. God's just that big. He can use every situation. There's a show that's popular on TV right now, and I'm not an expert on it. I've seen it a couple times, and, and it's, it's caused me to chuckle a little bit. It's, it's a show. I'm curious. Uh, let's see if this illustration is one that you all will understand. How many of you have heard of the show Duck Dynasty? Good, a few of you. All right, for the four of you who have not, I'll let you know what it's about, all right? Uh, it's about a family that started a business years ago making hunting supplies, primarily duck calls, and, and it's a reality show, and they get into goofy things, and, and uh, they kind of come off as rednecks. They would not be offended by me using that term. Uh, but I think the joke's on us. They are not unsophisticated rednecks. They are highly educated. They know what they're doing. In fact, just, I guess, through Walmart merchandising, they made about $200 million, right, selling their stuff. So they're pretty sharp. And, uh, and so they've got the show, and they'll go through their crazy antics, and, 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 and every, we get to laugh along with the crazy things they get into. And then when the show ends, they come together and try to make some kind of a moral of the story and sum the day up. And the show always ends with them around the dinner table, sharing the lesson, and then they, they have a time of prayer. They're, they're known for, for being followers of Christ, and, and, and that's what I've heard. The patriarch of the family is, is a guy by the name of Phil. And... Um, some time ago, he was being interviewed, and he was asked a question about what he, what he thought of homosexuality. Now, let me stop right here for a minute. Some of you are already mad because you know what you think I'm going to say. Get off my case. I already told you about the critics, okay? Leave me alone. <laughs> Give me a chance. I'm going somewhere with this. 
But he was asked about what he thought of homosexuality. He said, well, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. I think it's a sin. And, and uh, he added some other colorful things, things that I won't add in the service. But he learned you can have opinion about things, but when your opinion contradicts the view maybe of the majority, that all of a sudden people get really uptight with you. And it became a national story that this quote-unquote redneck, who, by the way, many people in the world think that's about all who's a Christian anymore, uh, we find that the, 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 the topic of conversation was about this one who said because he's a christian holds this view and of course many many said well that's just hateful and bigoted and narrow-minded and old-fashioned and all those kinds of things what was interesting to me about that is this in the week that followed the breaking of that news story i had more conversations than i had had in a long time with people who all of a sudden were interested about what i might think about about this news story. Well, what do you think about that? Are, are you like that? Is your church like that? And Do you know others like that? And, and uh, I want you to know that it was an occasion that opened the door of opportunity for me to have conversations about, about biblical things and, and to introduce Christianity with people that perhaps would not have been interested aforetime. God allowed a controversy to put a topic on people's minds that could then be used in, in a way for, for good things to come of it. Now, my point is not that we should go around life looking to create controversy but i am saying this it is helpful to know when we are going through those things that god can even use them for uh, his purpose to advance his message and that truth gave paul a confidence that brought joy to his heart here's paul and he's at rome he can't leave and here's these guys just slamming him they're in the chat room of the day, right? They're just slamming him. They're saying every hurtful thing they could think of. And Paul said, you know, I just believe God is good enough that he can find a way to let all this, maybe put a little light on the truth and more people can, can hear about it. And, and uh, he delighted in a God who was like that. But as we continue on in this study, I want us to see that Paul believed that God can use any outcome to bring victory. He can use any outcome to bring victory. You know, we sometimes figure that things need to go one way or another for us to get a win in life. We've talked about the fact that many times a lack of joy is that our expectations weren't met. And, and when we set these expectations removed from the will of God, we just dream about our future and what we think it should look like. When our expectations are met, we got to win. We think we got a win there. And, and when our expert, uh, expectations are not met, we think, well, I, I lost. That would be a loss in life and and that's not really the the case at all we we find in paul a man who believed this you know something this outcome is predetermined and i've already been chosen to be on the winning side because i'm on i'm on god's side and paul makes a statement that's pretty interesting he, he goes on to say this for to me to live is christ and to die is is gain his point was that he was going to keep living for God. And if he were to die, then he would be in heaven. In fact, Paul elaborated on all of this. He said, I'm in a straight between two. I, I, I've got this decision that, that is always on my mind. He said, I'm in a straight between two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And so Paul pressed in, in, in what he called this confidence. He wanted to live so that those in his life could have what he calls the joy of faith. And he said this, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you 
again. This is no small truth. I want you to get a hold of this. The Apostle Paul lived life with this mentality, with this philosophy. Life is rigged in my favor. Now, you'd expect a guy to really be singing the blues in his position. But his mindset was life is rigged in my favor. I can't lose. If God gives me breath, I get to use it to praise him. If my life is taken, well, then I'm in heaven, which is far better. And he had the understanding that it didn't matter where he was or what he was going through. God is good and that God would use any outcome in his life, however things turned out in a way that would be pleasing to God. You see, this is, this is just how Paul thought. He talked about this when he wrote to those in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would say, let me tell you something. My Savior is, is a victorious one. And in Christ, I'm victorious. He went on to write in 2 Corinthians, now thanks be unto God which causeth uh, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Always, any situation, wherever he is. Paul said, I'm a winner because I'm on the winning team. Uh, I think most people think that the greatest time in world history was when they were in high school. <laughs> I, I, just about everybody I talked to, oh man, things were better back then, you know. And, and I've got to tell you, I think that was probably the case for me too, you know. Uh, there were some good times to be had in the 80s, and I uh, look back there, and everybody thinks, well, however the music sounded at that time in their life, uh, that's a sound that we hold on to. We think of who was famous at that time. We think of the sports. Sports were always better in our moment and in growing up, and I, I think a lot of that's just, just human nature. Uh, I think in, in my case, when I say those things, however, I am right, okay? <laughs> and I, I look back to those days, and I've got to tell you, when it comes to uh, sports, there was not a greater time in world history than the reign of the Los Angeles Lakers of the 80s, okay? And uh, I, I remember watching those games, and I was flipping around the channels during Christmas time. I had to go back a, a little bit in my mind to remember this thought, but it was around Christmas time, and I came across a classic NBA game of, of those great 80s. Oh, man, those were the days, I'm just telling you. Uh, you know, I'm watching the game, and I'm filled with excitement. Not anxiety, I know how that game turned out. The Lakers won, and they defeated the lowly, lowly Boston Celtics, okay? And, and uh, yet I'm watching Magic's throwing no-look passes, and James Worthy's doing those Statue of Liberty dunks, and Kareem, he's still got the skyhook going, and even Jamal Wilkes with that re weird shot, and Byron Scott was just getting started, and Mitch Kupchak was coming off the bench. I could go on for a long time, all right? I won't. These were good days, and, and I'm watching this, and, and I'm filled with excitement because it's like, oh, man, that's great. Look what he did. That's awesome, but there's no anxiety because I know how it turned out and I really feel that's how Paul lived life and this is great I already know how it ends up and I'm just going to live like the champion I am in Christ all the way through and no matter how low he got his thought was man God's put me in a great position for a comeback this is going to be awesome and here he is telling people about joy in a similar sense we can go through life knowing that we'll face all kinds of challenges and uncertainties, but God can use all of it for our good and His glory. You need to know that about God. He can use all of it for our good and His glory. He can use each character in the narrative for His purpose. He can use everybody. Even those we think are, are opposing God's work, God can turn the tables on them, and, and He can even use them 
in a good way. God can bring a victory out of any situation. It was that understanding that allowed Paul to have joy. It was his confidence that came from a relationship with the Lord. As I was working on this message, I was thinking of a way to close it, and I'm going to tell a story now about my children. I thought, well, I did that last week. You know, are you allowed to do that more than once? And, and you know, I've, I've found many times that, that a message that's not lived in my life is many times not as helpful to others, and so forgive me, a lot of what I share, it's, it's tested in the lab of the life of Steve Chappell, and, <laughs> and, and, and I think of these things. Uh, most of you know I have, I have two daughters, and I love them, and I'm grateful to be a dad, and they're great. And they're as different as can be, and a lot of parents say that, you know, our kids are different. And, and yet each of them in different ways, they've really demonstrated confidence. Confidence. Um, Look, we're just talking. I'm not, I'm not saying my kids are, are perfect or better than your kids. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying, as a father, it, it catches my attention when I see confidence in the life of my daughters. Now, I don't know all there is to know about parenting, but I know in a special way the role of a father in the life of a daughter is very important. I'm not devaluing the role of a mom. It's just I'm not one of those. I, I, I'm, I'm a father, and, and, and I really want to make sure that when they reflect on their childhood, they have an experience of a dad who was present and who cared and, and who did all he could to help. And I know that their well-being as adults, much of it will go back to what they learned as young people, and I want them to be willing to risk in life. I want them to have occasions where they put it all on the line. I want them to have someone in their lives stand up and get in their face and say, you can't do it. And I want them to say right back, oh, yes, I can. I want them to feel this way. I've seen confidence in their life in different ways and at different times. Even Friday night, I went to Julie's basketball and uh, basketball game and, and the ref called a, a jump ball. That's when two players have it at the same time. Well, after that whistle blew, Typically, the players let go, but neither girl wanted to let go, you know. And, and Julie just, she yanked that thing away, and I went, yes, you know. I thought, I don't want to fight or be mean or get in trouble, but I, I want kids who will be willing to compete. They get out there. And, and I hope someday, when they're remembering their dad, that, that somewhere there will be an understanding that you know, some of the things we went for in life and some of the battles we fought and the mindset we had, some of it, I hope they remember some of it's because I just always knew there was a dad in my life. Yeah, I'll risk, I'll go for it, all in, so to speak. I, I'll go for it. And, and I hope that in the back of their mind, the thought is, you know, dad loves me unconditionally. If this venture goes wrong, if it doesn't work out, I'll pick up the pieces and move on. That's just what you do, you know. Uh, I, I, I hope that they have a confidence that they can connect to the presence of a loving father. Now, their father, as you know, is highly imperfect. But if you're a believer, your father is not. How confident can we be if our heavenly father's name is God? Pretty confident. So confident, let's just speak hypothetically. So confident that if you were imprisoned for sharing the gospel message, you from a prison cell, if you understood how great your father was, you could write a letter back to your church 
about a joy found in confidence if you knew how great your heavenly father was. And Paul was just overjoyed with the fact that the game of life was rigged and he was going to come out a, a winner regardless. And he wasn't saying that in an arrogant way like Rio's. In fact, in Galatians 6, he said this, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you find and enjoy the confidence found in having a heavenly father who is forever and always present in your life. And for the Christian, a win is not just something we get in the course of life. For the Christian, a win is part and parcel with who we are. It is one of the great terms to define who we are in Christ. We are the victory. And victorious is how we're to live. In Romans 8 and 37, Paul said this, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And I think we have every reason in light of these truths to have joy in our hearts. Would you all be so kind as you join me in standing?